Part five of Old Hampshire Vignettes by Lenoy Falconer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part five, chapters twenty one through twenty three. Twenty one. Mrs. Mallet. One approaches with some diffidence the subject of Mrs. Mallet, whose first appearance on the printed page was hardly what had been expected by her admirers. The one study from the life in a group of imaginary characters, she was denounced as unnatural, impossible, and overdrawn. So far, indeed, this confirmed the fidelity of the copy, since the original herself was undoubtedly overdrawn, and, as her portrait was said to do, verged on caricature. In form and feature the touch had been more restrained. There was nothing grotesque, if something slightly comic, in the outward aspect of this little, round, sturdy brunette of middle age, invariably trim and neat in her appearance, alike in her poor as in her prosperous days. She had been, so she informed us, much admired in her youth, but the self-conscious simper that she usually wore referred less, we imagined, to her past beauty than to the ever-present gentility on which she especially prided herself. She belonged to the era of Martin Chuzzlewit, and was essentially a female, and before and above all things genteel. A travesty, in fact, of the early Victorian heroine, and her elegant debility of mind and body. When first she entered upon our service, Mrs. Mallet was a widow. Before the death of her husband, an army pensioner, she had drifted with him from the seaport where she was born to the townlet in the valley where we first discovered her, striving to support herself by her needle. Her husband's pension had died with him. The arrangement was naturally displeasing to her, but no less displeasing to the ratepayer would have been the reform she proposed. It is my opinion, was her decision, the heavy female relative of a soldier should have a pension. And here it is timely to point out the oratorical advantages of the superfluous letter H, which thus placed before the word every, undoubtedly increases our impression of the number as well as of the clamour that might be. In the household to whose gaiety she added so much, Mrs. Mallet first set foot as a dressmaker, thus adding one more to that list of talented people who have entirely mistaken their true vocation. No higher compliment was ever paid than by the luckless young people with limited allowances whose wardrobe she undertook to set in order. The loss and destruction of material that ensued entailed months of privation on the part of the owners, but from this, at the time, their attention was diverted and enthralled by a dazzling flow of reminiscence. Fluent, eloquent, she was something more. A born storyteller, she made everything she told interesting, and, moreover, the scenes she depicted, however trivial, had for us the charm of the inaccessible. Fragments of these records still haunt the memories of her listeners. The Sunday walk of her whole family on the battlements, in the early summer sunshine, when she herself, in the bloom of her youth, and a bonnet with white ribbons, heard one passing sailor remark to another, I say, who is that pretty little dark-eyed girl? 
a servant's ball at the manor-house with priceless details of conversation and deportment where however other people may have been carried away by mistletoe and excitement mrs mallet preserved intact her dignity and almost bashful reserve the interesting episode of mr daniel dunce whose neck like the rest of him was of such ample proportions that he could not get a shirt-collar that did not throttle him till late in life he met and employed mrs mallet when naturally and properly he formed for her a passionate though unrequited attachment or as when she touched a softer note that day in her sister's home within sight of the sea and sound of saluting guns when her brother-in-law returning from a short cruise and a sharp action was introduced for the first time to his son and rejoiced as he said that he had one arm left wherewith to nurse his baby as we listened spellbound we forgot the main object of mrs mallet's visit till the time for trying on came and more than the garments were tried as the unfortunate wearers contemplated their reflections in the glass mrs mallet so far from sharing our despondency was never without an enlivening if not entirely comforting word whatever defects our own survey might disclose she was firm in the assurance that it was beautiful at the back whilst for effects that were neither beautiful nor at the back she was provided with one infallible remedy that could cover anything and embellish everything a careless bow charming as this amendment might be with such further suggestions for our adornment as a white piquet piped with scarlet at the seams and a bonnet trimmed with beetles presumably a mixture of bugles and beads all this entertainment proved as already hinted so expensive that it was almost a relief when during a prolonged interval between the speeding of one cook and the welcoming of another mrs mallet was transferred from the sewing-room to the kitchen her sobriety honesty and cleanliness were above suspicion and the very plain cooking required she did well enough to fairly satisfy the household and fully to satisfy herself at least so we may conclude from the class of advertisement she selected to answer when at one time she proposed to change her situation but mrs mallet said somebody in reference to one of these can you make ices and entrees oh well mrs mallet frankly responded i dare say they keep a kitchen-maid fortunately this novel division of labour was never attempted and for some time in our less exacting service the dishes usually assigned to the kitchen-maid were prepared by mrs mallet with occasional lapses of attention and accuracy by no means peculiar to herself the receipt says mix all the ingredients thoroughly together once insinuated some one concerning a cake that in more than one sense had not risen to the occasion what do you think is meant by that mrs mallet ho ho with a slightly contemptuous intonation i should think it was just for something to say a check like this was the more serious because a direct attack had its own disadvantages indeed when it came to plain and even sharp speaking from less long-suffering 
members of the family the expression of mrs mallet's feelings that followed can only be described as roaring and crying for hours afterwards her wails might be heard through more than one partition rising and falling rising particularly at the entrance of the butcher or the baker or any other newcomer to each of whom in turn the story of her wrongs was unfolded without any underhand endeavour to conceal what she was saying from the person of whom she complained but the same high standard of gentility that exacted this extreme and almost hysterical sensibility under provocation prescribed in terms of peace the strictest decorum of tone and manner her horror of vulgarity and indelicacy exceeded that of the elegant society one meets in some american novels to younger and less sedate underlings her constant exhortation as quoted by herself was oh pray don't let us have anything low it was doubtless the same high-pitched refinement that led her to assume that her surroundings were worthy of it however far from being so they actually were and to speak of the cottage in which she condescended to take office as a mansion and an establishment the carpenter has just set his ladder against the mansion no i says to the tramp i cannot give you anything it is against the rules of this establishment in due harmony with the same ideal mrs mallet was extremely and ostentatiously timid and on the slightest excuse ready to fall or faint an example of this as well as of the dramatic turn and rhythmic flow of her sentences is offered by her account of her attempt to cross unaccompanied and unprotected two open fields with a few yards of copse between them that divided one village from another when i come to the wood was her blood-curdling climax i met a man an awful pause i thought i should have died died i thought i should but her heart must have been in excellent condition for it survived many such shocks abroad and at home for even there she was not safe from tramps daring enough to ring the front doorbell or look in at the kitchen window there was indeed a terrible time when a veritable murderer with police in pursuit was supposed to be at large in the county when mrs mallet tremulously awaited him every hour of the day and at night refused to go to bed till the outer gate then most inopportunely out of repair had been ostensibly enforced by a bar of wood that a sturdy child might have removed on the other hand this dislike to the neighbourhood of robbers and murderers by no means diminished interest in their doings when at a safe distance that peculiar taste which in persons of higher rank is fed by the shocker and the realistic drama was in mrs mallet gratified at first hand by the police reports in the daily papers she may be said to have literally supped or at least dined on horrors reserving as she did the chronicles of such which made the cold chills run over her as a relish or dessert for her midday meal but persons of this type whether in drawing-rooms or kitchens are not dependent for excitement upon material terrors being alive to manifestations that are commonly and quaintly called spiritual 
mrs mallet read fortunes neither in teacups nor palms but could draw inferences usually of the most lugubrious kind from everyday domestic incidents as to spirits they did not merely come when she did call them they flocked to her uninvited even in the least propitious circumstances i e in a peculiarly airy and sunny house inhabited chiefly by cheerful sceptics yet no mediaeval dungeon could have furnished a more constant supply of creaking steps wandering lights rustling garments with other even more awe-inspiring sounds i can only compare it she said of one experience that had disturbed her slumbers to the dragon of heavy furniture which i really thought miss it were you a comin up to waken me but however it may sound or read to less highly strung persons no visitation so impressed and depressed her as one that made memorable the winter night when the family having gone to a christmas party she and a satellite awaiting their return kept vigil by the kitchen fire for the first few hours the spirits might have followed the example of the family so complete was the quiet but as the clock struck twelve in full view of mrs mallet and her companion the door was by invisible agency pushed slowly open wonderful to say mrs mallet abstained from fainting but grew white as death this she herself informed us then as if detecting in the minds of her hearers some ungracious conjecture as to how exactly she was aware of the fact she added with much dignity and decision which i looked down my nose and it were like a corpse's yet let no one venture to dub mrs mallet a coward till they have well weighed the superb intrepidity as well as deep philosophy of her most persistently remembered and requoted saying a clattering fall of saucepans in the scullery had been at first interpreted by her as a signal of grave calamity to follow but was her remarkable statement i had a dream that night and a spirit seemed to whisper in my ear don't be afraid it is only a token of death but long before any of her prophecies had been fulfilled mrs mallet had withdrawn from the scene of our lives as suddenly as she had entered it she had for some time announced her intention of returning to the little town where we had first met her reasons for leaving us she vouchsafed not but the gossips of the valley supplied this deficiency by maintaining that she went to join the man to whom she had already been secretly married why secretly instead of openly they did not explain and mrs mallet herself was far from throwing any light upon this mystery for this tale when repeated to her she received with a complacent smile but without either confirmation or denial alone she took her departure and as far as we could gather alone she repaired to her native seaport thence drifted to us vague and elusive rumours that could not be called news somebody had seen somebody who had met her in the street somebody had heard of somebody who knew the house where she lodged at last even these faint echoes of her existence faded she had apparently melted into thin air and far from sylph-like as was her form 
this exit seemed not out of keeping with one who was always a surprise and a problem to the ordinary mind inconceivable and as it proved incredible less like a denizen of our commonplace world than like a phantom that had strayed from the dreamland of dickens twenty two mrs stannard you could see the little farm from the high road it nestled in the hollow of declining fields and the tall row of firs beside it stood in dark relief against the sallow tones of yard and homestead and the violet haze of the distance on the doorstep would often stand mrs stannard the bailiff's wife a portly handsome brunette contemplating with mingled pride and anxiety her broods of chickens ducklings and turkeys the farm was not let in those days the landlord poor young man was farming it himself and often observed greatly to mrs stannard's credit that her particular department the poultry was the only one that paid its way like the triumphs of genius in higher places this was not accomplished without severe effort as well as judicious employment of the smallest opportunities dang they geese mr stannard might be heard exclaiming there they be in the carn again every one of them albert you just go and drive them out this minute why whatever harm will they do mrs stannard in the blandest accents would then inquire the little as they take albert with a sharp change of tone if you frighten them poor birds in that rough way i'll just about give you the stick for indeed in her concern for her poultry there was a tinge of maternal fervour who can forget the indignation outpoured by this kindly-tempered woman on the head of a young retriever the squire's though he was who whilst his master and gamekeepers were lunching at the farm contrived to capture and consume one of her favourite pullets or again the day when in the field beside the homestead the squire's groom tried in harness for the first time a peculiarly wild and rebellious little cob never out of a circus was a more entertaining exhibition and no one of the spectators viewed it with such cheerful interest as mrs stannard until quite by accident it was suddenly discovered that a stray infant from her latest brood of ducks had been during the performance crushed under foot or more correctly under hoof horse and horse-breaker were at once dismissed and with the scantest courtesy while the remainder of her grief and anger effectually dispersed all those who though merely as onlookers had become implicated in this fatal and even criminal finale next to the prosperity of her poultry mrs stannard's chief care was for the cleanliness of her home she was on this point an enthusiast and like so many enthusiasts was denied the complete support and sympathy of her housemates one day when some of us called at the farm for eggs homemade jam or harmless gossip of which she retailed the very best we found our charming hostess dissolved in tears as her head was bound up and she had been awake all night with toothache the reason of this grief seemed obvious but no no i don't mind about the toothache tis the master have avexed me dreadful saying twas all my own fault if i did have the face-ache 
for I was always a cleanin' and a scrubbin' and a messin' with water. Mrs. Stannard, young as she was, had children old enough to be abroad in the world, while three yet remained under the family roof. Of these, Albert, whose difficult position in relation to the geese has been mentioned, was the one who gave most trouble and called most frequently into action ingenious forms of punishment devised by Mrs. Stannard as variations and improvements on the stick, like that which consisted in the culprit holding a Bible or prayer-book at arm's length for half an hour such chastisements did he incur not so much by deliberate evil-doing as by thoughtlessness and ill-timed mirth or what his parents so considered as when for instance he laughed not in his sleeve but openly and loudly at the play performed by the gentry of the manor-house as the entertainment was not merely actually but intentionally comic the actors took an entirely different view of his behavior, and at their intercession he was pardoned. Of the other children, two timid little girls, nothing worse, was recounted than occasional attacks of dementia, like that in which Helena was moved to black and polish her new brown cloth boots. Such aberrations were discouraged by the stick or the prayer-book, while for the minor fault of peevishness or discontent mrs stannard's acquaintance with the habits of the upper class afforded often an impressive rebuke maria don't like the winter she come down this morning saying it was so cold getting out of bed so early ah oh, i says what would you do if you was a lady and had to take a cold bath first thing every morning towards the class to whose hardships she was so keenly alive mrs stannard cherished a loyalty of feeling almost feudal in its character to her own children as well as to those of mrs hodge her neighbour in the farmstead she spoke of the squire's sisters in such awe-inspiring terms that when they visited the farm they were flattered by seeing the infant hodges fly before them and at last in the extremity of their terror take refuge in a drain nor was the elder of these misrepresented young women altogether satisfied with mrs stannard's free translation of her careless assent to the suggestion that mrs hodge's baby was old enough to be weaned oh she have a weaned it now miss soon as ever you was gone i went in and told her you just take and wean that child this very day i says for miss sophia says you are to and if you don't she will be very angry with you despite her sharp-eyed superintendence of poultry children and neighbours there was a mystic strain in mrs stannard's temperament she came of a different stock to our somewhat stolid valley people and brought with her from a western county tastes and predilections that in a higher rank of society would have found ample employment and the highest honours as it was she unfolded her lore to inattentive ears and all that is remembered of it is a form of incantation whereby on st john's eve an unmarried person might conjure up the phantasm of his or her future spouse it began most unpalatably with the eating of a boiled egg in which the yolk had been replaced by salt it concluded with the recital of the solemn lines come in your apparel come in your array come in the clothes as you wears every day 
the efficacy of this rite has never been put to the test by any of mrs stannard's young and heedless listeners but she herself in early youth had by means of it in proud independence of mahatmas or others compelled mr stannard then absent distant and unknown to project before her what by the light of modern revelations we now understand to have been his astral body twenty three lady anne as one ties those scattered pages together how clear across the distance shine the faces of their first readers and of her who asked that they should be written against the background of the tapestried chamber looks out the sweet girlish face with its eager eyes and ready smile of sympathy and of humour no less kindly than her sympathy above the mists of the valley lived lady anne in the old home upon the beech-crowned heights where the deer browse slowly on through sun and shade and the dust and din beyond are shut off as from some enchanted garden by phalanxes of immemorial trees very grateful was its green shade to lady anne who was never quite at ease in the modern kingdom of women always a little homesick for those more congenial days when to requote the bishop's apt quotation as yet unseen on the platform or the playground lady emily was in the parlour the shaded and rose-scented parlour the fragrance of that sheltered and secluded past might be felt in all lady anne's words and ways and above all in her veritably singular tastes and distastes her hatred of publicity and notoriety however flattering her independence of excitement her relish for quietness and seclusion her devotion to home and its ministries her supreme indifference to the rights and privileges of man her immovable conviction that he remained as she would say herself the top sawyer her entire content that he should be so it was an essential part of the singularity that she never attempted to force upon others her peculiar sentiments and views but spoke of them always humbly as the possible symptom of inferior rather than of superior intelligence so without offence she pursued her own simple self-denying way avoiding alike the follies and the pitfalls of the hour and escaping altogether by some miracle of adroitness the pen and the trumpet of the interviewer certainly for the beadroll of accomplishments into which the word-portraits of fashionable feminine christians now chiefly resolve themselves she would have afforded but scant material scant indeed as would have done lady jane grey with whom she had much in common whilst for the wit and wisdom of either the vernacular of the society paper is hardly provided with appropriate terms everybody is clever said a great london editor but lady anne has a mind it was a mind too strengthened and enriched by that patient loving lifelong study of the best that has been written which is surely what is meant by culture perhaps this was why she saw so much where others see so little found in the familiar what others only discover in the remote and served the lazarus at her gates as many only serve him in the slums this was a very dainty critic 
gentle as well as true must be the touch in sketches of those who were in a double sense her neighbors strong was her affection for these humble and simple friends deep was her appreciation of all that was pathetic in their fate her reverence for all that was honorable in themselves and if she smiled as she often did over their quaint doings and sayings it was with mirth as free from touch of scorn as that of a mother over the antics of her babes to a generation that every day seems to know less and to heed less the things that time and time only can produce one despairs of making either comprehensible or credible the feelings of lady anne for her poorer neighbours it was much more than ordinary kindness and compassion in this attachment whose roots reached far into the past there was something of the deep-laid devotion of kinship as one of its sweetest embodiments in the countryside she loved so well lady anne will always be remembered but it glowed in many hearts besides her own and with the answering kindliness that it awakened might be felt through all divisions of class and of fortune conciliating uniting a healing and beneficent influence precious as the dew of hermon through the whole atmosphere of the valley like the lawns that the americans would have copied with millions it requires nothing less than centuries for its growth centuries of neighborhood centuries of mutual service of protection on one side of fidelity on the other of loyalty on both this was the legacy of the old order that even now fading in the distance draws after it some regretful glances misused it may have ended in revolution but fairly fulfilled it could produce this semi-eden in which the valley had its nook this other paradise this england which shakespeare called blessed end of part five end of old hampshire vignettes by lenoy falconer